text for the sermon this evening comes from the book of Jonah. Considering Jonah chapter 1, let's hear the word of our God as we find it in Jonah 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us, so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? The sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, But they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The book of Jonah is one of the twelve books of the Minor Prophets. And it's distinct in that it tells the history of Jonah rather than focusing on what Jonah prophesied. The context to the book of Jonah is that Jonah was an established prophet of the God, proclaiming the word of the Lord to the kingdom of Israel during the time of Jeroboam II. Not much is known about Jeroboam II other than that he was a wicked king 
who continued in the sins of Jeroboam I. Jeroboam I, you will recall, had set up the golden calves at Dan and Bethel, where he told Israel to go and worship the Lord. Jeroboam I had started the gross idolatry of the kingdom of Israel. And so the spiritual life of Israel is pretty bleak at the time of Jonah. And yet the Lord still conveys his love to the people of Israel. Second Kings 14, which speaks of the reign of Jeroboam II, and it's also the other text of Scripture where we find Jonah mentioned. In 2 Kings 14, we read of how the Lord restored various lands to Israel through the conquest of Jeroboam. The Lord is said to do this because he saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, and whether bond or free, there was no helper for Israel. The Lord did not say that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. In other words, even in spite of Israel's great idolatry, the Lord showed amazing grace to Israel during the time of Jonah. During this sad time in the history of Israel, God, God calls Jonah to uh, leave the land of Israel and go and preach that, that same grace to the people of Nineveh. But Jonah refuses to obey that call. He runs from the God of grace who has called him to preach a message of grace. And so this evening, I would like to consider the reasons for why Jonah acted this way and, and what application that has on our lives. And so we will consider Jonah 1 under the theme, running from God. We'll first consider Jonah's calling. Second, we'll consider Jonah's disobedience. And finally, Jonah's sacrifice. Jonah's calling, Jonah's disobedience, and Jonah's sacrifice. Jonah 1, verses 1 through 2, we read how the Lord called Jonah to go to Nineveh. We read, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. The Lord called Jonah to go to Nineveh, the capital of the kingdom of Assyria. Assyria was a rising world power at the time of Jonah, with Nineveh being one of the largest cities in the world at this time. It was encompassed by a great wall at least seven miles in circumference, and the city very likely would have had a population of over 120,000 people. But it was filled with a depraved people whose wickedness had come before the Lord. The people of Nineveh were idolaters who worshipped the god Ishtar, the goddess of love and war. They were a violent and hostile people as their brutal conquest of Israel and Judah in later years would show. 
But Jonah did not heed this call for him to go up to, uh, to Nineveh. Rather than arising to go up to Nineveh, Jonah went down to Joppa and down into a ship there. Joppa was a long 60-mile journey from where Jonah resided. And so Jonah was very calculated and deliberate in rebelling against the command of the Lord. And he, he, he essentially went in the exact opposite of Nineveh. Where Jonah was situated in the land of Israel, Nineveh would have been roughly to, to the northeast. But Jonah goes down to Joppa and down with the intent to go to Tarshish, which is in the southwest. Jonah is very deliberate in his rebellion. And from a certain perspective, Jonah's response to the Lord's commission is, is somewhat understandable. To have to go to and preach that severe message that 40 days in Nineveh will be overthrown to a hostile heathen pagan people would have been terrifying. It would likely have meant death. And yet, it wasn't because of fear that Jonah ran from the Lord. Jonah refused to obey the Lord because of the character of the Lord. In Jonah 4, verse 2, after the Lord had delivered the people of Nineveh, Jonah says these words, Ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Jonah strikingly fled from the Lord and his call because he knew that his God was gracious. Jonah seemed to know that if he were to preach a message of judgment to Nineveh, and the people repented that God would deliver them. Yet Jonah did not want the people of Nineveh to be saved. He hated the people of Nineveh. He thought they were beneath him and thought that God should wipe them off the face of the earth. Throughout Israel's history, Israel tended to have this sort of spiritual pride. Here they were, the children of the promise. They were God's chosen people out of all the nations of the earth. They were the ones who had the covenants. They had the laws. They had the sacrifices. They had the temple. And all these amazing blessings made them take the grace of God for granted. While God in his law called them to love their neighbors, to love the stranger in their midst, they often pridefully despised those Gentile nations who were surrounding them. They viewed them as Gentile dogs who were unworthy of the grace of God. In doing so, they forgot that apart from God's grace being showered upon them, they would be just like the heathen nations that surrounded them. And sadly, we can have that similar attitude towards unbelievers. In our pride, 
We can look down at people living lives of great immorality and, and think we are somehow better than them. But in doing so, we are forgetting that God has shown us great grace. If it were not for God's grace being showered upon us, we would just, we would be just like them. We would be destroyed. We forget that we never deserved or merited the grace of God. The only thing we have merited in this life is God's wrath. God has unconditionally chosen us. We have no reason to be prideful, but we have every reason to be the humblest people on the earth. And we should be desirous to show uh, grace, that same grace that God has shown to us, to those who are living in sin. But with this sinful, prideful attitude, Jonah ran. Jonah disobeyed God. He tried to run from the presence of God. And the text highlights this point. And in the first three verses, the phrase that he ran from the presence of the Lord is repeated twice. But our text also highlights the foolishness of such an idea. The Lord is sovereignly and intimately involved in this entire story. As Jonah is trying to run from the Lord, the Lord himself sends a, a great wind on the sea. So there was a mighty storm. The ship was in danger of being destroyed by the crashing and the smashing of the waves. The Lord has sent this storm as a rebuke to Jonah. He sent it as a reminder of the truth of Psalm 139. As we say in Psalm 139 earlier, we, we confess the comforting truth that God is everywhere present. The psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I take my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. While this is a comforting truth for us, it was hardly a comforting truth for Jonah as he continued in his pattern of disobedience. And it was anything but a comfort for the sailors who were in danger of their very lives because of Jonah's disobedience. And so we read in Jonah 1 verse 5 that the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in, in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. In times of great calamity, people are deeply religious. A person who has no interest in God whatsoever in their life so often wants God and heaven to be mentioned at his funeral. When their life is at stake, even supposed atheists are tempted to cry out to God. And so we see these sailors desperate and fearful, knowing that they are sinful creatures in danger of death. 
And these sailors, as they threw the cargo of the ship overboard, illustrate the truth of Matthew 6, verse 25, that life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Life is more than the temporal and material things that we have. We are spiritual creatures who have to give an account to God on the day that we die. As Hebrews 9 says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And the sailors, knowing this, sacrifice their own livelihoods to be able to save their very lives from this judgment. But it was futile. The storm continued to rage. And strikingly, Jonah's response is really the exact opposite of these sailors. While the sailors were in a panic, Jonah was sleeping in the hold of the ship. Now in the gospel accounts, we read of how Jesus slept during the storm, but Jonah's sleeping is drastically different from the sleeping of Jonah. Jonah was sleeping in an attitude of resignation, carelessness, even callousness towards God and towards his life. Jonah was living the attitude that he would rather die in the hold of that ship than go preach to the Ninevites. He was also being very presumptuous about the grace of God. As a prophet, he, he would have known of the holy wrath of God against sin. And yet he seemed to have this arrogant attitude that even if he were to die, God would still save him. Even as he disobeyed God and acted contrary to his will, God would still save him because he was somehow uh, special, because he was, here he was, this prophet of the Lord. And so we read in our text that the captain of the ship came up to Jonah and rebuked him. Here, this heathen captain who did not know the living God went and told the prophet of God to attend to religious duties. He says in verse 6, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. We don't know if Jonah actually heeded the rebuke of the captain. What we do know is that the sailors proceeded to cast lots. Verse 7 says, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. Now in casting these lots, these sailors seem to have something of a guilty conscience. They seem to have recognized that this is no ordinary storm. That somebody here is, is a great sinner who has done something terribly wrong, and this storm was sent as a judgment for their sin. So these sailors start, start to think back on their lives and are wondering, what it, was it the time I did this or that sin? Maybe God is finally judging me for my action. Whose cause has caused this storm to come upon us? And the sailors were incredulous when this lot fell on Jonah. They said to him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble come upon us? Strikingly, they don't immediately assign blame for this storm to Jonah. They ask Jonah, who is to blame? 
That was the very question that the casting of lots was supposed to answer. And yet here they are asking Jonah, okay, who's done this? Why has this happened? And in asking this same question to Jonah, they highlight once again their own guilty consciences. It is as though they had expected the lot to fall upon one of them. And Jonah's response to all their questions is, is really a beautiful confession of faith. He said, I am a Hebrew, and I fear Jehovah, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Here Jonah has this beautiful confession about his covenant-keeping God, who is also the sovereign creator, who made the very sea that is about to destroy them. And Jonah's actions are really the complete opposite of this great confession. Jonah lived this paradox of confessing and believing the right things, but not acting in accordance with them. He knew God was gracious and loving, but he did not desire God to show that grace and love towards the Gentiles. He knew God was sovereign over the winds and the waves, but he did not pray to him when the storm was raging. Jonah ultimately was not practicing what he was preaching. He was living a faith that was devoid of works. And sailors recognized the, the paradox of this more than Jonah. These men were, were exceedingly afraid when Jonah told them of his rebellion. These men seem to have a more practical understanding of the wrath and holiness of God than Jonah. They were in great fear for their very lives. Yet Jonah was so cold to all of this. Jonah was a man who had grown callous to the truths of God's word. He had lost his first love. And so Jonah is a warning to us of the dangers that we can face in our Christian life. We too can very easily confess truths without living in accordance with them. How often do you knowingly break God's law with little regard to the holiness of God? How often do you presume upon the goodness and mercy of God and charge down a path that is contrary to his will. How often do you presume upon the grace and mercy of God? The sailors recognize as they're dealing with this great storm, they recognize that something needs to be done to calm the storm. They recognize that some sacrifice needs to happen for this storm to cease. And so they ask Jonah, what should we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? Jonah's response was, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. The sailor's response is quite striking. 
We would expect these sailors would, would immediately jump at the chance to save themselves. After all, they had just thrown all the cargo overboard. They had sacrificed their means of income. We would think they here they're presented with the option of salvation, and they would immediately throw Jonah into the sea, and yet they don't immediately heed Jonah's words. They try all the harder to get to land. And what's happening here is the sailors' consciences seem to still be testifying against themselves. They were not ready to add a potential murder onto their record. But eventually, they were left with no choice, for the storm continued to grow and grow. So finally, the sailors pray to the Lord. And we notice that they are no longer praying to their many gods, but they are now praying to Jehovah the God who made the land and the sea. We read their prayer, their beautiful prayer in verse 14. We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. Do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. The striking thing about this prayer is that these Sailors pray that the Lord would not charge them with innocent blood. Here these sailors had known what Jonah had done. They know that Jonah has willfully disobeyed and rebelled against his God, and yet they say that Jonah is innocent blood. Here they have every reason to point their finger at Jonah and say, You are a sinner. And you are going to be judged for your sin when we throw you overboard. But they don't. These sailors recognize that they were the truly guilty ones here. They own their sins and their sinfulness. They, in essence, are admitting that they are the ones who deserve to die, not Jonah. This is a confession of their guiltiness. Yet in this, we see an amazing picture of the gospel. Here, the innocent one was sacrificed for the salvation of the guilty. Here, innocent blood was thrown into the sea so that these heathen sailors could have their lives spared. While Jonah was far from innocent, Christ Jesus was the truly innocent one who gave his life to save us, the guilty ones. Jesus was that spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is a sinless Savior who bled and died for our sins so that we might never know the wrath of God. Once the storm abated, we read that these sailors did not simply just go on their way as though nothing had happened. And just say, okay, that's just one, one rather bizarre event that's happened. We'll just go back to worshiping our pagan gods. No, we see that once the storm, once the trouble is gone, these sailors continue in their faith. Their great fear became a great faith. They offered a sacrifice to Jonah's God, which was a further picture of what they had just witnessed, of, of that innocent blood being shed for their salvation. 
The sacrifice they offered was a picture of, of the future sacrifice of Christ for their sins. These guilty sailors put their faith in the God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Yet, this was all contrary to the desire of Jonah. Jonah did not want God to be merciful and gracious to the heathen Gentile nations. Yet despite Jonah's attitude or wishes, God saved these sinners. Despite Jonah's opposition, God remains a God who is gracious and delights to show mercy. And what an amazing hope for us. How we as a people of God ought to be humbled by this. That God shows such an abundance of mercy to the worst of sinners. And that despite us, God still saves. And so, in conclusion, Jonah chapter 1 is in many ways a rebuke to those who confess one thing and do entirely another. Jonah was a prophet. He knew and preached the word of God. He made this beautiful confession that I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the dry land and the sea. Yet he did not live in accordance with that word. He had received the mercy of God, but in his sinful pride, he did not want to show that mercy to others. Jonah did not live as though he were the chief of sinners, but lived as though he alone was righteous. And so, Jonah calls us to humility, to recognize that we have received an astounding grace from God. And and when we do take that grace for granted, when we do pridefully and arrogantly uh, think we are somehow better, that we have somehow merited something with God, we must run to Christ, that truly innocent one who shed his life for us, who, who purchased for us the beauty of a cleansed, guilty conscience. Christ died so that we could be at peace with God and rest securely in his mercy and abundant love. We ought to fly Christ. We ought not to run from God, but we ought to run to God when we do not act as though, as we confess. We ought to find in Him a glorious salvation. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we are humbled by Your great grace towards us. Lord, you truly are worthy of praise, glory, and honor. For you are abundant in steadfast love. Lord, we cannot comprehend the depth and the height and the breadth of your love for us. But we give you thanks for it. Lord, we pray that we would ever run towards you seeking that grace and seeking to glorify your name. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.